Hello everybody and welcome to episode 66 of Competitive Magic with the Carnies. I'm your host from Italy, Andrea Mengucci, and joining me as always we have Javier Dominguez from Spain. Hello everyone. And Anthony Lee from Australia. Hola. The Carnies are back and we have a special episode for you today. Well, actually, Javier doesn't know about this, doesn't know about the topic. Me and Anthony plotted it in the dark while yeah. waiting for you, Javier. Here is out. Okay. So today, actually, I caught Anthony in my stream uh, while I was uh, kind of like brainstorming Blue Red Merktide lists. And uh, and I was like, wait a second. What if, you know, we do it later today on the podcast? Both Anthony and Javier today, you guys helped me uh, kind of go through my testing process for the upcoming regional championship because, well, I would say that I'm lost. I thought I wanted to play coffers, you know, after the 30 minutes of coffer talk last week. Unfortunately, the, the event this weekend didn't really go well for it. But mostly what happened was that Blue Red Merc that did so well this weekend that I found myself and I asked myself why I'm not playing it. Blue Red Merc that won the two qualifiers. It won the mocks by Gracias por tanto. Congratulations, uh, Mago Sasso, for his very good uh, achievement. And I'm like... Maybe I should play Merktide, but there's a lot of differences in the list. And I want you guys, I want to know you guys' opinion. So what do you say, Javier? Well, first of all, Anthony, are you okay? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't really, I don't really like, hate Merktide or anything. I just haven't thought it was a great choice for most of the time that Mango has thought it might be good. But, you know, I mean, it's hard to argue with the burden of results here and also, I think it might be it might be fun for viewers because I know I know like you know a lot of the time before big events, certainly you and I we we have other obligations to uh, teammates to not talk too much about you know what we're thinking about stuff coming up. But you know Mengu has no such reservations and he's happy to share what he's what's on his mind with with his audience, right? So I I think it's it'd be kind of fun to actually look into what we're thinking about what someone what one of us might actually play at an event. Um, and what we're thinking about it, like look a bit into that process. I don't know, I think it'll be good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to <laughs> well, it. Well, first of all, you said you don't hate Murtad. I mean, it's literally like you hate Murtad to the degree where it has become a meme in different Discord groups. So I don't uh, know. Are you are you are you really okay? Is I it like Mango plotting? Or, uh, or I mean, I love a good <laughs> plot. I don't know. It, it makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So I just run into a Murtad special. Okay, uh, I mean, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> all right, I'm in. <laughs> okay, so the, the two biggest difference, uh, differences of Merktide list these days are the presence of Ledger Shredder or not. So we see the first qualifier on Sunday was won by Soul Strong, which is a nickname that you might remember, Have you remember yeah. when you were playing a Grixis Shadow back in the days? Uh, this was definitely a player that had a dominant success with that deck and he's playing zero copies of Shredder. Uh, a thing that I really like from Soul Strong list and he got adopted in the next uh, uh, Merktide list that did well uh, were the two Fable of the Mirror Breaker in the sideboard. This is something to go just have an extra tool against Cam. The other version that we see is the one that uh, Mago Sasso used to want to win the, the mocks with three copies of Shredder, 
three copies of Channeler, and I actually watched his run. He went undefeated with Merc Tide in the mocks, and he cited out Channeler a lot. He cited it out against Yugmoth, he cited it out against Scam. So he clearly thinks that the card maybe is just not that good against those matchups. And he thinks that Shredder is very important there. Uh, to give, again, more examples, we have uh, the list from Marcio Calvario, who top the showcase last week. He had two Shredder. We have the list from uh, uh, Mental Misstep. Uh, that's Stefan Schultz, who has done very well with Merc there recently, and he has one Shredder. So, you know, it's kind of like numbers for everyone. Zero, one, two, three. Uh, I, I played four at the LMS in Barcelona last month. So I think the, the number of Ledger Shredder is definitely the most important thing when it comes to Merc Tide deck building. And so I wanted to hear your opinions on the matter. Okay. I mean, this is definitely a rather complicated uh, question. I mean, first of all, disclaimer, my knowledge of this archetype is limited. Like, this is not a deck where I'm, like, the most proficient at. But that's that said, I don't think the question is exactly, like, how numbers, like, how many shaders you want to play it's just like a matter of metagame right first you have to establish how heavy mortite is going to be in a metagame not only because you have to care about the mirror matches but also because you have to calibrate how i guess the question is how important your opponents will think mortite is i guess because one thing about drc and and shredder they have this tension where where drc is presumably a better card in a vacuum in this deck but it's also worse, especially against dynamics like like Poseidon cards, right? People attacking your graveyard, for example. But Shredder, on the other hand, it's a little bit worse in terms of like a game one card, but it's much better against those like graveyard interaction, like Hers or you know even Agatha Soul Scaldron, Void Walker. All these cards are very annoying for Mortite, and Shredder is pretty good against them, and also is a good tool in the mirror match. So I think that could be the first thing to do. Like, I could see a player playing Zero Shredders three weeks ago or two weeks ago, but now this weekend playing two or the other way around, depending on how they perceive the metagame. So that's that's where I will uh, try to make the evaluations mostly. But also, on top of this, you have also have to map the cyborg because the more uh, DRCs you play, the more slots you need to, to play against the, the most important decks in the format. Like, so you're playing against Yamoth, you do not want to have any DRC after Cyborg, so you need more cards for Yamoth, right? Cards that you are able to Cyborg in. Like, if you play more Shredders, you can have more, like, kind of random cards that are narrow, but very good against specific decks, like, more Blood Moon effect. Like, if you play more Shredders, you can play more Blood Moon effects, presumably, right? And that's also something you have to take into account. Like, I don't think it is a matter of Shredder versus DRC, but just a matter of how your whole deck is built, how you build your perceived metagame, and which cyber cards you want to put for that metagame. Like, I think you make these questions, have these answers, and then instead of answering the question, just you answer the, all, the, all the questions. And once you do that, you will be able to tell how many shredders you can play if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you're not really. Like, you're not saying it's a question of how good shredder is in general, but that. We have to instead set the questions as to tell us how as to tell us how good it will be, right? Um, so the first thing is that I think it's somewhat important that you distinguish that how good however many shredders were last week may not necessarily be the right number of shredders going forward. Those are slightly different things. So in the, I mean, in this particular case, the fact that Merktide is more popular now 
would or you would expect to be more popular now would suggest that maybe you want more shredders because you then go on to say that uh shredder is you know it's it's good in the mirror and it's uh its value in the deck is correlated to how much Merc Tide is expected right um but i think also in general like i think it's true what i very much agree with what you say that uh shredder is a more flexible card than dragon's rage channeler and so it opens up more options in your sideboard so if we look at Dragon's Raid Channel as like a somewhat more linear card than the Shredder because it keys off specific synergies in your deck, it also makes your sideboarding less flexible. And I think that's just true for deck construction in general. I think that's something that we've thought about before in terms of how we construct our sideboards. Like the more narrow cards we play, they kind of have to be offset by increasingly broad cards to make sure that we can present a functional deck post-board in most matchups. But it does extend to the main deck as well, of course, right? Like if Dragon's Raid Channel needs to be sided out more, we need to be able to bring in more cards, and that means we need to play broader cards, which which implies uh, less powerful ones, because presumably there's a trade-off between cards that are more narrow and powerful in specific matchups, and more broad, but can come in more matchups. So I think I think that's a very good way of putting it. You know, I'm just trying to relate that back to general principles. Um, but yeah, I very much agree with what what Javier said there. Yeah. So metagame wise, metagame wise, if we look at the you know kind of expected metagame of what's going to happen at the RC. I think there are the the most popular decks at the RC will be Crashing Footfalls, Rack the Scam, and Yugmoth and Blue Red Merktide. I think that these four decks are going to be the most popular one. Uh in the sense of like actual, you know, people playing against you. Okay. Merktide's not, not that far. I mean, sorry, know, the best choice. Amulet's not so far behind though, right? Can we can we make the cutoff there maybe? I don't know. I think that Amulet is going to be definitely popular, but like I, th- I think it's going to be the fifth number. But I think there's going to be like, hmm, how do you say? Like I wouldn't build my main deck to beat Amulet. Okay. Is what I wanted to say. Okay. So that's. Um, the I, have, I have a, a thing to add here. This is something we have talked before, but twelve percent footfalls is actually less than double of six percent Amulet, for example. Because deck difficulty and win rate the deck has, etc. So I actually, I will actually construct my deck assuming these five decks are most equal. I mean, Ren is the most important, but I, I think the seven to seven point three amulet is like I will round it up to like an eight percent in terms of like actual impact, because it's a deck of like people play the deck will actually have a decent win rate because you don't pick amulet and never played it before. So, which is the uh, uh, yeah I think I will round down Rhinos to eleven and amulet up to eight. Okay. Based on like this, basically. So basically, you're saying that the win the win percentage of uh, rhinos and hammer and and Merktide always being around like fifty percent makes them makes them less popular. Is that what you're trying oh, to say? No, no, I'm not saying this. Okay, like when you've I'm saying a whole different thing, and it's about like how to approach metagame guessing on metagame impact. Like I don't really care that much about. Um, how many decks are played, right? To illustrify, to to show this, okay. let's put an example, okay? Let's imagine a deck that has a 20% win rate. Like, it's a very bad deck. And let's imagine it's played by a 20% of the people, right? Well, if you go to a tournament, you will definitely not count this 20% of the deck that loses every time, almost, than a 20% of a deck that actually wins often, right? Like, that. that's kind of obvious, isn't it? I understand. So yeah. you're saying that the high presence of uh, decks that don't have a very good win rate 
it feels like they're smaller in the metagame, mostly because like they lose earlier. Yeah, kind of. Like well, what I'm saying is the more difficult or the more winner the deck has, I you should probably run top a little bit when trying to make metagame like metagame prediction and the other way around. Yes. Yeah. So is this is this what it's called the winner's metagame? Well, yeah, I don't exactly ish, like that but... concept. It's ish, but it's not exactly this because it's not an A or B situation. It's about like the impact of the metagame that I care about. It's like an X value. And this X value is not based on a yes or no situation. It's like, it's a matter of weights. So I will wait okay. more or less. So it's same concept, but actually a little bit more refined, I will say. Yeah, it's similar. Okay, okay. Yeah. But he's not only waiting like how strong the deck is in the abstract. But he's also trying to account for a selection bias where inexperienced players are more likely to select footfalls, which is not to say that every player selecting footfalls is inexperienced. And as recent results can suggest to us, that is very much not not the case. Um, but that inexperienced players do choose that more often and inexperienced players will naturally choose to play amulet less often. And that will drag up the effective win rate of amulet. So that is why he is wanting to weight it more heavily than the role play percentage would suggest and i think that's particularly important for hey. longer events you know like these two days rcs like these longer events like rcs are or at least rcs in europe and the us are not the same as um, for example rcqs right where that winner's metagame effect doesn't have enough rounds to come into play but when we're looking at events like the rc that you're preparing for uh then yeah i think Avi's approach is very much you know it, it very much makes sense to me that you need to account for these things so i think that's that maybe we should look at these top five maybe I will the list. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 share on, the, the the screen I'm sharing on these uh, you know YouTube videos with you is um, some stats. Uh, and ever since there was a change recently on the Magical Line stats, and Magical Line is uh, releasing all of the stat, all of the deck list. So from first to three hundredth, you're gonna have all the deck list, which means that you're gonna have uh, you know the meta share, and like there's a lot more data going around and. Uh, uh, this person, Anil Yahi, is uh, making it, uh, you know, all together and definitely helping us here, uh, talking about these numbers more uh, precisely, because it really feels like these five decks are the most popular slash best decks. So to me, at least, like when, when I made my power ranking, this is what I, you know, expected to see. And it's nice to see a confirmation of the, from, from the data. So basically, looking at this thing and what you just said, these five decks are the ones that you, you should try and build your deck and sideboard for. Like, you should try to have a precise plan against those five decks. You should try and test against those decks, right? Yeah, uh -huh. I think it's hyper... Like, I will not consider it acceptable going to the tournament without an actual plan against those decks. Like, it's fine to not have a plan against, you know, Marfolk or Meal or any other decks, but these five, you need to have a plan and you need to have test the matchups. If you're gonna, mm -hmm. Especially if you're going to play a deck like Mortite, where... You know, you need to interact and you need to sideboard tightly. Agreed. Yeah, 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 exactly. So let's return to the main topic of this, uh, you know, what, what we wanted to do, which was kind of like the ledger shredder positioning, right? Because again, I think that is, I don't want to say that's the key, but I think that's going to be very important, like how many ledger shredder you want to play. So a problem that Merktide has, and one of the, Main use of Ledger Shredder is to fight the Lilan of the Void coming out from Rakdos Cam. For example, I used to be a big hater of Lilan of the Void against Merktide because, you know, Merktide in the past used to play 
three or even four Ledger Shredder. So whenever they had Leyline against me, I felt like whatever. I just, you know, loot away the Merktide and I was siding out Channeler, which is again what uh, Gracias Portanto did in the mocks. It in fact beat a couple of Rakdos Gam in, in, on its way. But obviously, like Ledger Shredder, it's not a great card against just a deck with, you know, Fatal Push or Orkish Bowmaster, whereas you want to be all in on Merc that region to draw four Merc that region. You win game one. If they don't draw Leland of the Void in the post-cyber games, you win one of the two post-cyber games with, with that. So I think that's a very important, like, key point of Ledger Shredder. And yeah, this is again, like, looking at these top five decks, like, you're happy to have Ledger Shredder against Footfalls? Yes, for sure. Against Merktide? Yes, for sure. Against Amulet? No, for sure. But like, how good it is against these scam Yogma thing, and is it only, and is it only because Leyland of the Void? Well, but you can also like, if you wanna look at it that way, you can also say if you play Shredder, you're not playing as many cards as like, like you could play a bunch of Fables of Mirror Breakers, right, to try to achieve this against a scam. Like if you, exactly. if that's what, uh... like yeah, like if you do this, then you could, you could... I'm saying like. Leyland of the Void out of Scammer specifically should not be and is not enough to justify playing Shredders because you can play Fables or you can play whatever card you think is good against a Scam and I'm pretty sure you can find a better card on Shredder against a specific Scam if you're going to have one in the sideboard, right? Like, I think you need more reasons to play Shredders. If that's the reason to play Shredder, I will say not play Shredder. I think you need more. Definitely way more. Yeah, I think it's probably more about how effective your hate cards against the index can be, like Looping back to what we talked about before, where uh, Shredder perhaps being more flexible as a card or more resilient in the face of hate means that you can free up a little bit of sideboard space to play more effective hate cards, then I think that might be also a very important factor in deciding how many copies of that card you decide to play. If you think that the metagame is defined enough um, that you can decide to play narrow hate cards and that you think that those hate cards available are effective enough to significantly swing your matchup, then the card becomes more appealing, I think. So uh, that's kind of how I would frame your consideration, I think, as to whether... Well, it actually might be might be describing this... Like, I think, looking at this number, I feel like this modern is as condensed as it has ever been. Yes. I mean, not ever, but, like, it's pretty condensed for modern. Like, you know, modern used to be the classic, like, well, I'll play 16 rounds and I'll play, like, 12 different archetypes. Not anymore. I don't think that's going to be the case now, you know? And that means card like Curse Totem actually, you know, makes sense. I mean, like if you play Shredder and because of that you save one Cyber Slot that you can just throw being a Curse Totem, you're going to be happy when you're playing Jamoth, right? And I think you just described the situation where that's good. Like my first instinct will be like, yeah, I mean, the metagame is very condensed. So, so I actually want to play like, you know, tens. I want to play Magus of the Moons and Curse Totems. And flash storms and explosives. Like I don't even want to play like Chalice of the Void. I want to play the best cards against Rhinos, best card against any of these decks. And I think that's um, we're looking now at Soul Strong Cyborg, and that's pretty much the approach. But I think we could also it's it's, it's tricky. But I, I think the cyborg is built like this, right? Like all these cards yes. are actual. Most most of them are just tens. More than before, I think. I think that before that used to be a little bit the case, but that's because like decks were uh, they went they went along certain lines and. So I I think now um you know before you had stuff like stony sciences or resting pieces that like hit like large swaths of the meta game but now I think it's just that the meta game is condensed enough that you can have one deck in mind and be like I want this card in this one matchup 
And in the past, in modern, that might have been a dubious proposition, but I think it's totally reasonable now. Like, I think now you can say, I think that this deck will be popular and I will play this card for it. The metagame shares are just larger now in modern than they used to be. So I think that's... Yeah, like, they're very unique. Yes. The cards, I mean, yeah, like, explosives is pretty much all against Rhinos. You can cyber it against, yep. like, Scales or Hammer, but it's... Like, you're putting them because yeah. they beat Rhinos, right? And the same with Corsodem. I'm, I'm sure you can find some other decks where it's good, but it's still the same, right? Like, um, well, but this... Okay, if we assume this is true, we're going to build the sideboard like this. I mean, look at the disputes. It played one dispute. Like, before, disputes were often, like, a 2 or 3 or 4 off or whatever, right? Like, it's just how the cyborgs are built now. And this actually means... It's kind of not, not that. This means we should be more inclined to play some shaders, right? Because we'll have less Brazen Borrowers. Like, when I think of flexible cards you can cyborg in many matchups, I just think of a Brazen Borrower. Like, I will even go and say... This is the Brazen Borrower card. <laughs> like, you know, like the more, you know, the more cards you need to cyber in a flexible way in any format where blue and borrowers are legal, that, that's definitely um, a thing to do. So the starting point will be like, well, the metagame is condensed enough. So we probably want some amount of shredders in our deck will be the, so the starting, I think. The way I would frame it, I suppose, after having this discussion is that because the metagame in modern is condensed to a degree that we have generally not seen before other than in exceptional circumstances that i would like our main deck to be as flexible as possible in order to facilitate having as powerful a sideboard as possible because i think in, we, these are things that we often have to balance um flexibility against power and instead of trying to balance the sideboard against itself in that regard i would try to ma balance the main deck against the sideboard in that regard so i want to play more generic and flexible cards that I can consistently submit in across matchups and pre and post board main deck so that I can afford to have as many of the hammers in the sideboard as I can. That's 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 how I think I would be trying to approach building Merc Titan. I think any fair deck in, in modern right now. Yeah, I actually agree. For example, I'm looking now at Mauro's sideboard. I think Brotherhood Sand actually does not fit this, right? Like it's a card that's not a 10 against the most play decks, is it? Like, I, I don't know how good it is against like Yamoth, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not a 10. Like, you, you can surely do better than that. And this is the type of card that used to be very good in Modern because it will catch up against a lot of decks and the metagame will be very spread. I don't think this is the case anymore. I will expect this to not be the kind of card we will ideally have in our our sideboard as opposed to, you know, a second copy of Course Totem, for example, seeing in the sideboard. That's, that's how I, I will start building the sideboard. Which is, by the way, how I will actually start building my Mortet deck <laughs> on this situation. Is uh, Brotherhood End is very weird to me, because if you look at the top five decks, well, there's no decks that where you love it against, but I've seen it, Maldo sideboarding this card against uh, Scam and against Yugmoth. In particular, it's very well paired with Ledger Shredder. There was a spot where Maldo had uh, a Ledger Shredder, and he went... Like subtlety, brothers would end, killed four creatures and kept his shredder, which was, you know, an interesting play, I would say. But well, it's good. Felt yeah, like uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's a bad card. Like I will actually cyborg in against those decks. But if I'm gonna play against those decks, I maybe would prefer to have like different cards. Like I still think uh, some amount of these cards will be needed, like this dress down type of cards and um, brotherhood end, like maybe one or two total or something, just to make sure the numbers fit. But I think this card is not powerful enough to be playing two copies when it's not very good against the top five decks. Honestly, the way it will be my cyber is just like 
think of the top five decks and ignore the rest completely and just, you know, hope that I have enough, and not hope I will actually check, but try to figure out a way to for it to work for the rest of the matchups. Like, I don't want to put a single card to beat Hammer, you know? I want my deck to be okay against Hammer, like, by accident, if you want to put it that way, because I want my deck for sure to be better against the top five decks. Like that, 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 those are the ones I care about a lot. And I think cards that are not tens or nines in any of the top five matchups, I, I will just not... I mean, I will go like one or two just because you can cyborg a card in against multiple of those decks, which could be Brotherhood Sand, could be maybe other cards, I don't know. But I will definitely not play more than one or two of the cards where they are not a ten in any of the five matchups. That's That's how I feel about this. I don't know if Anthony agrees. Yeah, I agree. I think this is generally reflective of, I think, Modern having a much more clearly defined tier one, you know, top tier, a set of top tier decks than it generally has. And it kind of reminds me of um, a lesson that I, I I don't know if you guys remember the, the streamer Day9, you know, he used to do a lot of uh, StarCraft, right? And uh, I think uh, I remember one one lesson that he spoke about that stuck with me. I was I struggled with him explaining, just go kill him. You know, I think there might have been some uh, some profanity included, but you know, the gist of it was just go kill him. And the idea was that if your opponent's doing something weird, don't uh, don't get too too far in the weeds in terms of like trying to counter it specifically. Just go kill him because the whole thing about their strategy being weird is that they're trying to catch you off guard. But if you're just doing something powerful and proactive, I mean, your 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 strategy is by default stronger than theirs. That's why your thing is, you know, a top tier strategy and theirs isn't, and they're trying to catch you off guard. So just be, make sure that you're proactive and strong. And I think that kind of applies to the difference between the best decks in modern right now and the ones that are below them. Like, if you don't really need to have super targeted answers to win those matchups because your deck just operates on a more powerful level than those decks in general, which is what defines the difference between these decks and the rest, these top five and the rest, I think. Um, so I think that that's... That, 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 that to me tells me why like I don't really want to have narrow cards. I just don't need them. I, I care way more about the top decks and I would like to have the edge there. And I can rely on the inherent power of these top five decks against the rest, I think. Yeah, that is uh, one of the good things of playing a proactive deck. And that was something that I always uh, suggest people is, you know, playing a proactive deck is... Overall, especially in an important tournament like the original champ, better than playing a reactive deck because if you're building your deck to beat the top five decks, which, you know, I made the math, I counted those numbers and it made 51%, which is, you know, obviously just half of uh, half of the metagame, but it's not that the other 50%, you will have no shot. You'll still like be a very good deck with a very, very good proactive deck. So even if you don't have the... Uh, I don't know, the Pithing Needle against Mono Green Tron or the second dress down against Hammer Time. You can still like win those matchups just because you know you have a very strong deck with a very good proactive plan. So mm -hmm. that's definitely the appeal of playing something like Merc over something like Coffers. Absolutely. Yeah. Alright, I think I think it was interesting and I think that uh, I will uh, after what you said and everything I think I will definitely have some number of shredders I was already, you know I, I don't know if you know this but I love the card ledger shredder and I always played uh, uh, at least a couple of them in my Merktide decks again, last 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 time in uh, Barcelona I went up to four I have really liked the, the list that uh, 
uh, Marcio played at these uh, at this showcase, and it's kind of what I wanted to go for. I don't know what you uh, uh, what do you think about uh, this list, Javier. Uh, Marcy was playing the Momentum uh, Step Tech of Change the Equation, which basically serves as a fifth counterspell. Counterspell is very good right now in Modern. If you look at these uh, at these decks, Counterspell is just a fantastic card right now uh, against uh, all these decks. Uh, I would say that Counterspell used to be bad against the the very fast decks or something like you know Hammer Time or. Uh, yeah, just maybe, you know, it's mostly that one. Uh, outside of that, having a fifth change the equation might actually uh, make you even better against these uh, rhinos and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like how this deck looks, but then again, this is what Marcia played last week. Doesn't mean that this will be what Marcia will play now. And that's something like, just don't get attached too much to a list that's, that you know was very good, but things still change and I like where this is going but I think for example like second dress I don't think there's enough decks to justify two dress downs for example that's some that's something I would not like to be doing like there's a lot of small things I will definitely play the first course totem I think the card is like it just it's the, the 10 you know <laughs> like I think the card is too good to not play some copies at least like there's the small things I think I think the cyborg could be a little bit tighter, but by the way, Stern's Calling is a card that's just apparently the one of the best ones to play around and to play because it doubles. Okay, so now we're going to talk about something else. Like there, we want tens, but a card that's also an eight against two different decks that's also very good. Like Stern's Calling counters, uh, I think Grease, Jawmoth for one mana, but also counters the Scram creatures. That's uh, that's maybe a nine in two decks, right? That's also a card I am very interested in. And yeah, so you know, that's... if you look at Stern's Golden, it's really only bad against Footfalls. Because against Amulet, it has a lot of targets. Against Murktide, it has... I mean, it's it's worse than Spell Snare. But still, I wouldn't mind having... I, mean, I wouldn't side him out, the Stern's Golden. I, I think... I mean, looking at the Marshall's list, I assume he doesn't think that because otherwise he will probably play the main deck, I feel. Like, I think Stern Scalding has a lot of matchups where it's okay, but it's not a card you actually want to have post cyber. Like, it's not dead. Like, you play against Scuffers, the card's not dead, right? Because you can counter an orc, but it doesn't mean the card's good. It just means it's less bad to, ma less bad to main deck. Speaking of which, by the way, I feel like having cards like Shredder also lets you get away a little bit more with cards uh, like um, the, the Stern Scalding for, you know, for looting reasons. Like, I don't want to overdo this, you know, the classic, like, yeah, I can put bad cards <laughs> in my deck because I have Fable, but but it's also not good to ignore it, right? Like, it, it is, I think, like, you can get, you can be a little bit more flexible with those things, not only because of that, but also because when, in the matchup of the top five, where Scalding is worse, it's the one where Shatter is probably better. Like, Shatter is the best against Rhinos, Right. So that's you know a little bit of a way where you can compensate. So it's not not only because you can discard it, but also because shredder is good when scalding is dead. That makes sense. Absolutely. One final question I have for you, and uh, what do you think about Questing Druid in Blue Red Merktide? Because if I see the meta game correctly, Questing Druid is. Uh, good against uh, Scam and Merktide, 
It's bad against Rhinos, Amulet Titan, and against Yugmoth. Like, at the end of the day, it's sim very similar to Shredder, I think. But the quest injury against Merktide and Scam, it makes a big difference. Like, it's a grindy card, and those matchups is all about, like, drawing more express iteration than your opponent. So, I would say that this may be a good moment to play Quest Android. This doesn't mean that in two weeks will be a good moment, but I think that looking at the last qualifiers where Scam and Merktide were everywhere, I felt like it may be a good time for Quest Android. Like, what, what do you think about this card, and what do you think about how this like look compared to just having like you know some subtleties, some shredders, some some more cars over this quest enjoy slots. Well, I mean, the first thing that's coming to my mind is that you already answered the question where you showed five decks and said it was bad against two, good against two, and medium against one. This probably means there's not too many reasons to actually you know put a color into the deck, but more importantly, like. There's, again, this is not a yes-no situation. Like, cards are not only good or bad. It's a matter of how good they are compared to how bad they are. Like, I think the, you know, just turning things into yes-no actually can, um, you know, be can, can open, like, some blind spots where we actually not... Like, two goods can be less important than one bad or the other way around. Uh, so, for here, my first thought is, while I can see why this card is definitely decent against Mortide, but for example, I don't think the gap between Shredder and Quest and Druid can be this large because Shredder's actually very good. And like you cannot get that much better than the actual best threat for the mirror, especially against dynamics like hers and the such. But I can see why Druid is actually much better against the scam than Shredder is. I'm just saying like this is not a way of like I don't think this too good too bad is like uh, that good of a way of saying it. My concern with Druid will be, like, Rhinos is the best, like, it's a most played deck. You could, could even go and say it's the best deck. And I could see Question Druid being, like, unacceptably worse than Shredder. Because Shredder is very strong against Rhinos. Like, it puts them in positions that where they cannot really attack unless you come they, they combo twice or whatever. Question Druid seems underwhelming there. Like, the, the, that matchup is not about, like, grinding forever. It's more about, like, sticking a threat they cannot deal with and just close the game fast or prison them with counter spells. And I think for me personally speaking, I think that question read seems too bad compared to Shredder for, for this to be the case. Also, it's not that good to put like one or two off question reads. Uh, but you still pay the cost on the reading pool. Like you have one less basic island, which means you have a little bit worse moon effects, which can affect you know all these kind of things actually matter yeah, against the rest of the field. So I will say no, because I think Shredder is uh, too much better than Question Druid against Rhinos, but I could be wrong. And also, if a scam becomes the most played deck by a lot or something, then maybe it's good again. I don't know what Anthony thinks. Yeah, I think all of that is true. And the other thing that's like kind of like throwing me a little bit at Question Druid is that I feel like you need to make more changes than just like plugging out and plugging in for Question Druids, you know? Like, I feel like this card is explicitly a threat, so you're actually changing the balance of how your deck works. And so I think it's a little bit more complicated than that because you're probably not just cutting all threats for questing druids. Like, it also changes, like, how you'll sideboard and whatnot as well because it may be more or less flexible. Like, if you want to take them out against Rhinos, for example, then we start to lose the effect that we talked about before where the Legislator afforded us more hate cards. I'm not sure if questing druid does that. I mean, questing druid does work better with specific ones. Like, for example, I kind of, you know, it's uh, it's kind of nice if you can flip a chalice off it or something that's very effective. But 
Yeah, I feel like Questing Druid might disrupt the balance of the deck in addition to what Javier had mentioned before. Um, I just don't know if you need this many threats in general. And I somewhat think that it might make sense to play Questing Druid. I think the best argument for Questing Druid is that if you're playing Murktide, it's because you think it's good and that presumably that it's good because it attacks Scam, which is going to be likely a very popular deck. But... And then, I mean, that's why I would play Murktide, right? Like, I would play Murktide if I thought there was going to be Scam on the rise. And so playing Questing Druid matches with that logic, but in terms of the other decks, I agree that the Druid seems a little lacking to me. Um, and I think that probably outweighs uh, outweighs that effect. Um, that I th- but that, that, to me, is the case with Questing Druid. I'm not saying that I think that case is correct, because I don't, but... That's what I think the case is. That the logic of playing Questing Druid yeah. lines up with the logic of playing Murktai. So, I think I think that in the mirror match, Questing Druid is significantly better than Shredder because sometimes Shredder just simply dies to a bolt. Like it really is that easy. Like they play Shredder, and you know, sure they get a draw this card, but it dies to removal. Whereas Questing Druid can become a three for one easily. Uh, and I say easily for real. Like uh, you have, uh, you know car selection and etc. So against Mercury, I think the difference is big. And against uh, Rhinos, the difference is also big. Like in Sofia, when I, where I played this deck, I lost to two, uh, I lost to um, Rhinos twice uh, with the Questing Druid, whereas with Ledger Shredder, it's just much, much harder to lose to Rhinos, I would say. So I would say that uh, that's a very good point. And you saying that you expect Footfalls to be the most popular deck makes sense to me that, you know, we should just stick to Izzet rather than just go ahead and splash a caller to be worse against the most popular deck. But it's, uh, it is good to identify the case in which we would want Questing Druid. So like I said, like, if maybe something changes, um, then maybe you could consider the Questing Druid. Like we say, Questing Druid makes sense if we think there's going to be a lot more Black Red and Murktide, then if that looks like that's going to be the case, you can make that change pretty easily, right? Like, you don't really have to rehash all of that. Like, you know, if the metagame, if I think the metagame is going to look like this, I'm going to play Questing Druid. And, you know, it, it would not be that hard to see a case in which uh, Rhinos might be less popular than uh, Scam or Murktide, right? Like, we just have to see perhaps a big weekend for Rhinos might lead to a resurgence in hate and then a drop-off in uh, in Rhinos. That's that's quite foreseeable, right? I think Modern often works yeah, in that well, way. Well, we have to think a couple steps ahead. Yeah, Rhinos... So, yeah, I mean... Rhinos did very well this weekend. Yeah. Very, very so, well. All the, the non-PTQ events, uh, the challenges were dominated by Rhinos. And, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just saying that, like... The, you know, what we're saying now, we're talking about the, the next step, but, you know, it's very possible that Questing Druid might actually be good in the next, next step. So let's recognize that possibility. And so if you're preparing for your RC, you might want to think about that as well, I think. Yeah, if Rhinos go down, I will definitely consider playing yeah. the, the Questing Druid. Yeah, Rhinos, Rhinos won all four challenges oh. and <laughs> came second twice of those challenges. Merktad won the two qualifier. Qualifier usually a little bit bigger than the challenges, but still, like, that's, you know, still, like, over 100 pe- people each, almost. So, again, Rhinos and Rhinos and Murktide are definitely, this weekend, were the two most popular, most successful decks. Okay. Not most popular. And the most RC successful. is a few weeks from now, right? Is it two weeks or three weeks? Sorry. Yeah, the RC is uh, not this weekend, the one after. Okay, so what it's we might have to consider... Far. Is that yeah? It's not far. That's true. Maybe I guess that's why we're having this episode. Huh? <laughs> so you can consider perhaps an effect where the massive success of Rhinos leads to a massive surge in hate this weekend, and then the following weekend, 
people will be less likely to bring rhinos, right? That might that might be possible. I don't know how reactive modern metagames are uh, paper, in paper, paper, paper specifically, because well. I know on Magic yeah. Online, that's what I would expect, certainly. And I think there yeah. must be that effect to some degree. Um, in paper, especially with these RCs that are becoming increasingly competitive with, you know, the prizes are pretty good. Uh, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think that's what you have to think about. How fast do you expect the metagame to react? Because... Certainly, the results that you just uh, told us about rhinos—they, <laughs> they certainly warrant a response from people. I, I assume. Uh, so let's think about how we might react to that. I would say. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing a, a tweet of, um, yeah, that said that rhinos were all four challenges. Amalia won all three challenges in Pioneer. Again, we're not gonna uh, focus on Pioneer because of the uh, upcoming Pro Tour, but there is definitely some signals this weekend uh, from the Magic Online challenges. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that uh, I think that there was a lot of uh, Merktide and modern content in general. How about we go over something that happened over to Standard, which is still the RCQ format? I saw you know a lot of tweets, uh, especially coming from the uh, United States, um, like RCQ in America this mm-hmm. past weekend. Oh, it seems All to right, be. So we can make Anthony happy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I didn't mind that talk. I enjoyed it. It was. Uh, it was. It was. You know, a little more the speed that we like. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Let us know in the. Let us know in the comment if you enjoyed the the talk and. Uh, yeah, if we if you know going us, in deep in depths. Yeah, that we that we uh, we did a bit more of a dive than you know cover the cover the news. I suppose you know and you know there's there's a place for everything and I enjoyed doing that. Um, it doesn't standard, you know, it seems to be doing well. I mean, I saw someone mention that they played a 78-player standard RCQ the other day, and I thought, wow, that's <laughs> that sounded unthinkable a little while ago, didn't it? But it seems to be going off, and it seems to be doing very well on uh, Magic Online as well, huh? So it's something that should clearly not be a surprise to anybody who's followed uh, standard. Uh, looks like Mogged won another one. Kind of wild. This guy won <laughs> Every week. Uh, this weekend alone, he had two wins and a top eight, and one of the wins was the standard. You know, I mentioned before that Mog's win rate was especially high because he plays a lot of standard where he can achieve a particularly high win rate, and well, he is uh, living up to that very much so. But this time with a, he's gone back to Esper. Like he's been bouncing around a little bit before. You might have remembered before last season, uh, he was playing. He tried some different things to react, right? Like people, like I think he did very well with Esper. Everybody moved to Esper, then he switched to White Black, which was the worst deck in the abstract, but it was a lot better against Esper, which he knew everybody would switch to. And then he did something very similar recently where he switched to Blue Black. Uh, uh, where you know everybody would have expected him to play Esper, but now he's gone back to the default. And why might that be? Well, I mean, I will expect you, the standard expert, to actually tell us. Well, I mean, I'm just so throwing it out go there because actually, kind of, th- I mean, standard's <laughs> kind of like Merktide, right? Like, you know, Avia, you said you weren't a Merktide expert, but I really think Merktide tests a lot of uh, fundamental skills and understandings more than it does like a specific. Uh, deck specific knowledge you know and so i expect you you know i i expected you to have very good insight there and you did and i expect the same thing of standard even if you haven't played much standard recently your fundamentals okay i can tell you why i think he went through this so basically uh i think the deck that you you jump into the a ship like esper where you did not have like a strong feeling on a a specific direction and at least direction not being heavily skewed towards domain right we saw yes. the domain decks being over the top and we saw like some decks being like quite some extreme adaptations 
But now, going into this weekend, it will be like a split between like Esper, Mitrange decks, the Cardinal Sword decks, some under the radar decks, but also the main, right? Like it will be a more spread win rate. I mean, sorry, a metagame, which means you actually want to play the more well-rounded deck. Like the one with less holes, like less vulnerabilities, just trying to rely on the cyborgs to have a good plan. And that, that that's why I will expect to be the reason for to play Esper. Like I think I think Esper was a good deck for this weekend, but yeah, I mean that that's what I think. Yeah, like I think that's just the converse. Like that's exactly I think that's exactly right, because it's the converse of what um I was just saying that Mock had done last season, right? Like when Mock saw a very clear uh, direction for the metagame, he's like, everyone's gonna play Esper, so I'm gonna play White Black that's better against Esper. Then he played like a specific version that was we could generally about better against the metagame. But when the metagame is more uncertain, he just goes with the kind of stockish version, right? So he just plays like a deck that's generically good. I think that's absolutely it. He just wasn't sure. He didn't have like a strong read on the metagame or thought that it would be diffused, which definitely seems to be the case. There's a lot of different decks in standard right now. It's a little bit tricky to keep track of it all, but you know, we'll do our best. <laughs> I like it. And I like that they are actually like different for real because sometimes you have like, you know, Esped midrange, Sultai midrange, and Mardu midrange, but they're just like all basically the same in a in a macro level way, where they're just like different piles doing the same thing. But here, the the this standard is like, well, they are they're actually like very different decks, like the main and Mared and the toxic deck, and you know Esper. They they're do, like they don't play anything like similar to each other. I think they're very a, distinct. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a very good format, honestly. It's kind of unreal. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of fantasy you, story stuff. Did you see Anthony that uh, Golgari Golgari midrange is still there? The deck that you took still World still battling with. along, you know. And, yeah, that's and now yeah now it's playing a two more playset because I remember that <sighs> you said something on the on the uh, on your uh, deck tech that was like you only played one four off, which was most of a dread knight because you know every other card wasn't as good, but now you have deep covered bat and sentinel of the nameless city. That are four ofs. Yeah, these cards are just like absolutely, they're just absolutely massive inclusions, you know. I'm actually not 100% sure about Deep Cavern Bat right now. I think it's a great inclusion, but like it actually doesn't stack super well because although it does have significant upsides over, you know, I mean, like if you look at cards like that in the past, like Pilfer or whatever, they were not great and like expensive discards are a little awkward. And Golgari, unlike the other decks that play Deep Cavern Bat, doesn't have as good ways to exploit the fact that it's a creature. Right, so like for example, you have Esper, and then being a creature is awesome because you have Virtue of Loyalty, you have Rafine, so like a two-drop evasive attacker is naturally excellent in that deck. And then the Rakdos decks try to use Gix to achieve a similar effect, but Golgari just doesn't have a thing like that. So the Deep Cavern Bat is actually a little bit worse in Golgari than it is elsewhere. So maybe I'm not sure that one is actually a floor of, even though even though it is like a fairly strong card, so you can see playing four for that reason. I just think it's less synergistic than it is elsewhere. The Sentinel of the Nameless City is just super impressive, like. When I play with that card, I'm like, wow, this is finally another four of we can play after Moss with Red Knight, because the card is actually just that good. It's just very solid in all the matchups, very flexible. Um, you know, I think that's a clear winner for the three-drop slot in the same way that Moss with Red Knight was a clear winner in the two-drop slot. So that's not too surprising to see, yeah. I like this. I like well, this build. It looks, it looks like Sentinel is actually the only payoff for bad. Like, once you play four Sentinels, playing bad actually is not that bad. Yeah, it's right, a little like, bit. This is the page because you put counters. You put counters yeah, like it's a very good body to put a counter. I mean, not very good because it dies. Well, but, like it's a kind decent. of yeah. Like also, I often want to put my maps on. Isn't uh, <laughs> isn't the li- isn't lifelink important for preacher of the schism? Uh, 
Uh, like so if you're a higher life than your opponent, kinda... you make more one ones. Oh, it's like sometimes it's actually a drawback. Like sometimes I don't attack with my bat if I have preacher because like I don't like if we're on the same life total, it's better. What do you mean? Like if I'm on twenty and you're on twenty, I would rather that than me on twenty one, you're on nineteen because then I get both triggers when I attack with the preacher. Oh, so like it's not. I understand. Yeah, I mean sometimes it comes up, but yeah, I, I, that's not a big deal. Like the preacher is just like a solid card anyway, but. Uh, I, Wait. Yeah. So let me get this preacher right. If you have the have more life, you draw cards. Yeah. If your opponent has less life, you make a one-one. If you're both on twenty, you'd get both. Yeah. yeah. You might. Yeah, I think you spoke about both. So, yeah, life. But yeah. Okay. So life link is not necessarily important. For I mean, well, yeah, it's it not always good. Yeah, it's just but, not always. Yeah, it's not like, a given. It's not a you given. want to be even lives. You ideally have the same amount of life. I assume sometimes you just take one with one of the wasters. Yes, it does happen. Or yeah, like you pass I, I with wanted... it up. <laughs> yeah. The mana burn style, you know, like it was like in the 90s. It is, it's really cool. Bam! I yeah, so too. this first this first uh, Saturday challenge with eight different archetypes. In the first place, there's Mono Red, which was uh, the deck that uh, our friend uh, said he played at the... Um, at his uh, RCQ. Danielakos and, and Mog, uh, uh, you know, running the race. Still just destroying it. I don't know, man. Again. Yeah. I don't know. Do, <laughs> do you not find that kind of like... I want to stop short of calling it inspirational, but it is very encouraging that like the same players can just keep bringing down the same results. Like you look at like... Especially in standard, but also even in other formats. Like, you kind of see this in Pauper as well, where they just yeah, like that one dude who just wins vintage. everything. And then, like in modern, you do see the same name pop up more often. Like we mentioned, players with higher win rates in modern yeah, and standard, mean, just the same people win. And like you're like, man, I could, I can just be better and win more. And it's kind of validating. I think that's really cool. I just love yeah, seeing and like, and like Mo- yeah, Mog did something insane. He double queued standard and popper and won both. And like <laughs> a lot of people, you know, double queue, but usually you play worse, right? Yeah. This is just, and also the decks that he played are not like. Mono Red, he played yeah. like Esper in stand there and he played like Demir Terror in, in Pauper. He has to be playing which... so fast. <laughs> like the, like Pauper, every Pauper game and most yeah. standard games just take so long. Like he has to be playing like yeah. lightning fast. That's that's even what I didn't even know yeah, he double queued yeah. them and oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This guy, this guy. I think it I think it tweeted uh, it tweeted that. But yeah, it says uh this is my this is my teammate for the PT. He's qualified to uh Chicago. He won the uh, Sunday PTQ on the, awesome. on the last PT. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. watched him. Yeah, we watched yeah, him win. Yeah. yeah. And our other. Yeah, he played against uh, your teammate, I think, in the last round. Oh, okay. Yeah, you brought up that um, your teammate beat our teammate. Okay, I get. I see how it is, Mangu. Jeez. Okay, right. okay. We will save Jeez, this dude. for the next time it happens where they were. No, I just. <laughs> okay, I just okay, said okay, okay. Uh, to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He also. Uh, shout out to the vintage, uh, the vintage, the two vintage top eights. But yeah, so congrats definitely to Mogd and uh, the whole uh, standard format. The the people who get to enjoy these formats. Um, I've I built my standard deck, but unfortunately, I don't know. Hopefully, I'll find an RCQ to play in. But so far, it'll be fun. No luck, but Promise. you know, every yeah. Hopefully, hope no. I mean, I just hope they they fire. Hope they they start. To, yeah, they it seems they're they're, fight, they're fighting here. They're fighting with it people. It seems very regional. Yeah, but Barcelona... Yeah, Barcelona is, like, super big. Where I live, it's dead uh, modern, but... Look. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's very fun to watch these decks, definitely, and talk about it, that's for sure. Uh, so this this weekend, guys, is there is there any any event that you are excited to, tr- to play or just uh, some, some more Pioneer testing for you? 
Uh, well, I will definitely run the Vintage Showcase Challenge with whatever deck I decide 10 minutes before without any kind of testing. That's... Is there a Vintage and Legacy Showcase? Yeah, Legacy I might actually play it as well, but, you know, it's going to be longer. It depends on the rest. But the Vintage one, I'm definitely going to run it out. You know, just I like it too much to not try. <laughs> it's also often fast, so... <laughs> okay, Boomer. Yeah. Queen Anthony, yeah, today... let us play some vintage. What about you, Mango? No. <laughs> oh, today I have a, a very cool thing happening. I'm going to go to the office where we have set up the whole, uh, you know, um, Mango's workshop. Actually, we we started it all yesterday. We did the recording, super happy with the games. And then we went over to it and the microphones weren't properly set up. Ah. So that's a classic though. It'll go but, right. It'll go it'll it'll go wasted. I feel so bad. Hey, but, I know, mean, hey, hey, I mean Hey, it just means you're gonna play a little bit more magic than you than you thought you were going to. You know, it's not it's not all bad. It's not all bad. I mean, you know, it's not great that the previous you don't get to use, but maybe you'll do an even better job this time. You don't know that until you do it. Exactly, exactly. Be better. That's the hope. That's positive the Anthony. So, yeah. Therefore you all <laughs> listeners. It's a rare sight, but, Ugh. you know, it's... A... <laughs> Just saying what I uh, think. The hope, uh, the hope is definitely there. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to actually... How about we... Do you guys have anything else to share with the listeners, or do you think we can... I think we're good to go, them? and I'm just wondering which deck you will find to, you know, tell us to talk about for Modern for the RC next week. That's uh, something I'm wondering now. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, so on on yeah on Friday I want to do I want to go to um, to F and M and then I'll probably play the whole afternoon against a friend of mine on on Rhinos. I think that was gonna. I think I want to try Questing Droid. So I want to I want to test against him a lot on Questing Droid versus Team of Rhinos, and that's gonna be I think an important testing because if I pass that testing, that means that maybe Questing Droid is okay. So I will keep you updated on that. Alrighty. And with that, thank you so much for listening. Um, before we go, I wanted to remind you that this um, you can support the Carnies podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash Carnies. We have two new members, uh, Cameron and Asia. Thank you, guys, and hope you are enjoying the the Discord, the, the Discord tweet, the Discord posts. That is uh, definitely something uh, you can visit. Yeah, cheers, guys. And that's it. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening and I'll we'll see you we'll see you next week. Okay, thank you for Adios. listening. Bye-bye. Cheers.